Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for just being an awesome God. And I pray that your word would settle deep into our hearts. That we, Father, could receive the things that you have given us, Father, and the things that you have for us. But our ears would be uh, hearing the things that you have, Father. And especially on this uh, message today, Father, where we can glaze over so many things here and kind of yawn our way through it as the Christmas story. I pray that uh, you would pierce our hearts to look at things afresh and new, that we would hear what you are speaking to us today, here and now, and that as we are going through difficulties in our life, Father, uh, that you would be able to uh, speak to us uh, today to minister some things to us. I thank you, Father. I praise you, and we just give you this time as a living sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. In Luke chapter 1, we started off where uh, the angel Gabriel has been doing some work. He's been uh, starting to do a fresh new work, and we said that he spoke to two different people about starting to have a child. Uh, the first one was Elizabeth, and she was a woman defined as well advanced in her years. And, uh, and I guess now that it even just says that she's an old woman. And uh, so that's giving you the picture that she, after many years of being called barren, is going to conceive a child. Her child is going to become John the Baptist. John the Baptist has got to be the guy who's the forerunner, who's really there to say, this is the Messiah. And then we saw Mary, as Mary was told by the angel Gabriel, that she was going to conceive a child. And she was a virgin. She was very young. She was 15, 16 years of age, many people would assume. She was betrothed, meaning she was to be engaged at the time. And the angel says, you're going to have a child. And both of them were equally shocking, I guess, to, to hear from an angel to say that you're going to have a child. Uh, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, husband of Elizabeth, he didn't receive it too well. He kind of looked with doubt and skepticism. And the angel Gabriel turned around and says, well, you're going to be mute. You're not going to be able to speak until this child is born. So he comes out of the temple where he saw this vision, and he's, he's trying to say all the things that are happening. Well, we compared it last week to Mary. And when Mary heard it, her response was, well, if this is the way you want it, then so be it. And so if you would, let's read a little bit of review last week. We'll start in verse 26 and get a flavor of some of the things that have been happening. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Really, it's going to be, you're going to call him Joshua, but Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua. Joshua would be his Hebrew name. But anyway, verse 32, he says, He will be great and, we, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. 
And then Mary said to the angel, Well, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. You kind of see the whole Trinity in effect there. You see the Holy Spirit. You see the power of the, of the highest one, God the Father. And the Son is conceived. It says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived the Son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So this is big news. And so Mary's coming up. She's hearing that she's going to have it. And I love her response. She's just turning around. She says, well, let it be according to your word. If this is the way you want it, you can see in Mary that she was yielding, that she was open, and that she was saying, wow, God, this is a pretty trippy thing. But if, if that's what you say is supposed to happen... Is that me? Maybe. If, if that's what you say is supposed to happen, then that's okay. So you're watching two children being born. You're watching things starting to happen. And, and one's going to be John the Baptist. One's going to be Jesus. And so we're picking up the story as these two simultaneous events are happening. But notice, if you would, with that big news, Mary's smart enough to pick up on this thing about Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And notice, Gabriel's giving her the information now in the sixth month. So six months ago, your relative, and I don't particularly know exactly what relative it is. We'll just call her Aunt Elizabeth for instructional purposes. But somehow or another, they're related. And you're going to sit down and Mary's going, Aunt Elizabeth is pregnant? And that's, that's ringing something in her ear. Because notice it says, verse 39, where we're picking up today's text, it says, Now Mary arose in those days, and she went in the hill country with haste. So she's quickly beating feet as fast as she can. She's got to go to Judah, to the hill country. And, um, and she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. So Elizabeth, the older lady, she's seen Mary coming in at the door. He says that the babe leaped in her womb. Uh, so that's uh, John the Baptist in the belly is going to turn around and jump up and down. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, and who's that? That's Elizabeth speaking out with a loud voice. And she goes, Blessed are you among women, uh, among, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And now she asks a question and she says, But why is this granted to me? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of those things which were told from her from the Lord. So it's interesting. There's a lot of things going on here, but it's amazing. Mary, and we're going to look at the heart of Mary. She's just been given big news. I mean, it's pretty weird. 
Angel, she doesn't understand what this angel is. She doesn't quite understand what's going on. Angel starts to speak this bizarre stuff, says, you're going to have a child. She's like, well, excuse me, you know, uh, uh, I haven't even seen a guy yet. I'm betrothed. I've kept my virginity like a good woman. How is this going to happen? Oh, well, you're going to have the Son of God, the long-awaited one. So she's familiar. She's from the tribe of Judah. And you could hear her saying, you mean I'm going to bear the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one is going to come from me? Now, I think when any of us could hear any of the promises of God, never mind this one, you're going to have a, a tendency to take a few steps back. But Gabriel gave her a piece of information. He said, your, your Aunt Elizabeth is pregnant. And you could hear Mary, she's, the, the, the cogs are starting to go in the back of her mind. She goes, well, wait a second. This is a pretty fruity story this guy's telling me. But there's something I can do to verify, verify, confirm God's word. So what does she do? The angel's gone, takes a pair. She says, I'm beating feet over to Elizabeth's house. And Elizabeth is sitting there. And back up a little bit in the story, back up to verse 24, it, it gets even more intriguing. So here's Elizabeth. She's an older lady. And it says that she hid herself for five months. So, you know, this is the sixth month of her pregnancy. It's kind of an interesting timeline. I think if you put it together, when the angel Gabriel first spoke to Elizabeth, they had to go through their two-week rotation of lighting the candles we talked about last week. And then as they go through the candle lighting ceremony, they go back home. And then they have to... They didn't have a virgin birth. Elizabeth and, uh, and, and Zacharias had to consummate things, if you would. I, I don't know, consummate the promise or something. They had to go back and have relations. And so now, after a couple weeks of that and a couple weeks for her to conceive, it's now in the sixth month. So now Mary comes running into the situation. And, and as we know, that Elizabeth's been hiding it. So you can see, if you were well advanced in years, and I don't know how old she is, but... She's obviously way past the time of having kids. You could see what could happen to Elizabeth if she's turning around and she's saying, well, now I'm pregnant. And, and I don't know if you've been around pregnant women at all. There is a huge phobia uh, that when a woman first conceives a child, she wants to keep it silent for a good cause. If, if the, there's a high probability that in your first trimester, the first third of pregnancy, you're going to miscarry. And there's nothing harder on a woman to say, oh, look, praise the Lord, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, and then the miscarry. And you're looking at Elizabeth, who's a barren woman in her old age, whether she's been down this road a few times or not, thought she was pregnant, thought she could tell she was pregnant, and then all of a sudden, uh, no. Now, I don't know if Elizabeth is, she's, doesn't put on a whole lot of weight. You don't put on a lot of your weight, I guess, your last trimester, your last three months. And whether she's a lady that's advanced in age and maybe some people are saying, you know, hey, Elizabeth, you're putting on a little weight, you know, and nobody would ever say anything to her because she's a little bit advanced in years. I don't know if she was just, maybe it's time for me to put on the burqa and she just had her little head <laughs> come out and said, I don't want anyone to know what it is, but she hid herself for five months. She didn't want anyone to know. And I suppose at this point, nobody would really even ask any questions to Elizabeth because she's an old lady. She's putting on a little weight in the middle. You don't say things like that to a woman well advanced in years. So she's hiding this. Now, now all of a sudden, she's, she's coming in and she says, I, I'm not really sure what's going on. 
And, and as things are starting to happen in Elizabeth, Mary starts beating feet through the door. And as she comes into the door, all of a sudden, a couple big things happen here. Okay, so let's just picture, and I'm drawing between the lines here, uh, you know, a little 16-year-old little girl that's cute and slender. And if she's pregnant for her first few days, couple weeks, they don't have the EPT test back then, right? You know, can't go pee on the little strip and find out if you're pregnant back then. There's a lot of guesswork involved. Now, how do you sit down there if you're Mary and turn around and says, well, you know, last night I had this dream and I saw God coming down and I was conceiving and I don't know what happened, but, I'm, well, you know, and, and she goes, how do I know if I'm impregnated? You know what I mean? Well, so all of a sudden you go, you can understand there's a lot of doubt in Mary's heart. And so she's like, well, wait a second. If I can figure out Elizabeth's pregnant, well, that might tell me if I'm pregnant. And so she goes walking into the door, and as she stands in the door, Elizabeth, who nobody knows that is pregnant, all of a sudden jumps up and says, whoa, the baby in my womb jumped. When it saw what? The baby in your womb. Now, that little, you know, Jesus is this big at this time, a little peanut in there, you know. And he's going, he's going, hey, there's something going on here. There's a, there's a verification a confirmation with inside of, I think, Mary's heart and also inside of Elizabeth's heart to say, we're not nuts. We're not nuts. Something was told us, and Mary would say, well, i got to be nuts to think I'm pregnant. And instead of me going around, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to see this as soon as I possibly can. And for a woman to know, to say, wow. I haven't known a man. Now I'm pregnant, and now I want to know. i got to see what this is about. And so there's a lot of things that are happening here. A confirmation of God's Word. There was a promise that was given, and God is giving us a hint. He's showing us a, a sign to say, some of these things are why what I'm saying is not crazy. So I like this. There's, there's a, another whole big argument that needs to be presented here. And, and, and I'm sorry, it just seems to be a modern argument, but it's worth bearing note that this was not just a fetus, this was a child. And, and what was going on here was an interaction, notice if you would, that Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit, the child understood what was going on, John the Baptist, and he's saying, hey, I'm in the womb, and I'm sensitive to the things that are happening. He's called and he's set apart from the womb. And as we look at the arguments that are going on today, you could sit down there and say, oh, well, you know, we don't recognize a child till it's born. Now, that argument in, in, in this case is crazy because the heart of what's going to be said here in this story is that God's promises are, are true even though they haven't come to fruition, they're just as true. And, and, and that's the punchline of the whole sermon, if you want to call it that. That's the, the message of what's being brought about. And what you're looking at is, is an argument where a lot of people say, well, when does life begin? When does things start to happen? And, and when are these things happening? And it's important for us to understand it's at the moment of conception that life begins, when God is starting something. Because you're seeing that God is taking these things, this child within, even though it's not come to a place of birth, to a place of fruition, it's still counted. It's still there. I, 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 I find it interesting sometimes that, I don't know, is, is it modern psychology? Modern psychology turns around and says, well, we all have a child within. You hear the story of 
the little boy growing up and at 10 years of age his dad dies in a car wreck and at the age of 10 the boy starts to go into dysfunction and he blah 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 drinks and blah 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 and now that the, the boy's all grown up now the psychiatrist would say well inside of that man is a 10 year old boy that child within and and he needs to get past that time of being 10 when his father died and we need to give him therapy to overcome that burden and and i suppose you know as much as i don't quite wash with that perspective that inside of you and i the child within is when we are conceived by the Holy Spirit, i.e., for you and I, when we're born again, we give our life to the Lord. Inside, the seed of God is planted into our hearts and a new child begins to uh, uh, bear forth its life. A new life, a, a life in Christ starts to grow as we're born again Christians. Inside the shell of the old, if you would, and just because it has not bore itself out of the shell, it's still considered a valid life. And so we look at these things and you're seeing an interaction of the child within. And it is amazing that it's our child within. It's the part of us that's spirit-filled that can be sensitive to other things. And I kind of like the scenario. The discernment being I can see something's going on over there. So just the terminology sounds strange but the analogy is cool that says the child within me sees the child within you and we can sometimes have discernment to say there's something going on with that brother over there there's something going on with the sister I, I just know that guy's a Christian I, 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 I discern those type of things and that's kind of how the gifts of the Holy Spirit start to work inside of us that child within and Mary's starting to say or Elizabeth's saying he says there's a child within me it, le it, it, it leaped for joy and so there's a recognition, and in that, in that confirmation, this is important, you start to see that all of a sudden, that there's a sense of awe. There's a sense of, wow, you know that I'm pregnant? I mean, I'm not showing, I'm not, and, and you're barely showing, and you're hiding these things. And, and you can see in both of them, we'll, we'll hear both of their praise reports here, that they're just like, this stuff's really happening. You can't see it, but I know that it's really happening. Life is going on. Things are changing internally, and there's a sense of awe. So Mary comes up with a, a beautiful praise. She says in verse 46, he says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Little old me, God's delivered me. He sees me. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. The blessed Virgin Mary. And yet she's saying, God has taken me. She's somebody just like you and I, and she's recognizing her lowly state, and she's saying the promises are real. He says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him. Not like, ooh, leave me alone, God, but having a sense of awe and respect from generation to generation. He has shown strength 
strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Now, keying in on verse 55, you're seeing that it's saying there's a sense that within inside of Mary that there is a promise, there is a promise being fulfilled. You promised something to Abraham, you promised the nation of Israel, and now through me, this promise is starting to take effect. She was humbled. So the story goes on, verse 56. And he says, and Mary remained with her about three months. So she's got to be there almost till John the Baptist is born. And she's hanging out and just maybe she feels that this is a safe place to be because everyone's going to think she's loony. And she returned to her house at that time. So now John's getting ready to be born. He says, now Elizabeth's full time, full time, meaning she's ready to burst forth here, came for her to be delivered. And she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So, hey, let's throw a party, get everyone together. And everyone's like, man, I can't believe it. Elizabeth's having a child. And so it was on the eighth day, according to the custom and according to the Levitical law, that they came to circumcise the child. Grab the flint knife. Let's scare the kid for the rest of his life, right? And they would have called him by the name of his father. That's just what you do. He's Zacharias. You got Zacharias Jr. They wanted to call him uh, by the name of his father, Zacharias. Now, so if you can remember the whole story last week, we said Zacharias was told he's going to have a child. Gabriel came up and said, this is what's going to happen. And he turned around and says, how can this be? You know, we're well in advance of age. And Gabriel said, how dare you question the things of God? You're muted, you're silenced, shut up, you're not going to be able to speak until this child's born. That's how you're going to be able to know. And so here it is now, they're still coming to the time, it's now time for him to be circumcised, and they're saying, well, what are we going to call this guy? His father can't tell us anything, he's just... His mother answered and he said, no, he shall be called John. That's what Gabriel told us, that he's supposed to be called. But they said to her, well... There's no one among your relatives who's called by this name. Where'd you come up with John? He's not in the family lineage. He's named after your uncle or something or, or your dad. And so they made signs to his father. They're trying to say, you know, hey, what, 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 he should be, what, what they should have called him. And he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. And as soon as he wrote it, you can almost see that him finishing with a little chalkboard, if you would. It says, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, praising God. And then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judah. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts. Listen to that. And all who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, hmm, what kind of child will this be? He's got something special about this boy. His dad couldn't speak. And as soon as they called him John, which wasn't part of the family name, well, man, something special about this child. And they're saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. 
So you could just see Zacharias. He knows he couldn't speak. He knows what the angel told him and why he couldn't speak. Now all of a sudden, it's true. It's real. And he's going, wow, I'm going to have a boy and he's really going to be special. He's got a purpose. He's supposed to be a forerunner. That's what the angel Gabriel said. I can't tell anybody about it. I can't talk. But I can, he must have been thinking about this for nine months. What is going on here? And then when he goes, maybe I just lost my voice. Maybe there was, you know, wasn't an, it might have been a cold or a flu virus inside of the, you know, place where I was lighting the candles. That's why I can't speak. But bam, this for him must have shocked him even more to say, God's doing something. God, God's really got a purpose for my boy. And he's flipping out over this thing. And it says now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied. We like our prophets filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has uh, uh, visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the, uh, the hand of those who hate us, to perform the mercies promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, you're special, boy, you're going to be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God uh, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. And I like this, verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then it seems real weird, verse 80. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So I, I, I find that weird. We're going to have a real special boy. Let's go let him raise himself up in the desert. <laughs> Send him out there in the woods in the cactus and just let him figure out what's going on. And when we see John the Baptist, he's this guy in camel's hair and he's eating, you know, honey and locusts for, you know, his guy's eating bugs, you know what I mean? And you go, gee, didn't you think you want to, you know, treat him a little better than that? <laughs> Knowing he's supposed to be such a special child. But, but honestly, that's what he, he's being set apart. And he knows he's got a special purpose and a special time. And he's going to sit down and he's going to put himself on hold and he's going to be hanging out. And, and if you would, if you kind of put these things together, it's, it's amazing on how similar, similar Mary's praise report and Zacharias are. If you were with us last week, we kind of bashed on him and said Mary was good and Zacharias was stupid because he was mute and he blew it and his heart wasn't right. And it's amazing on how, listen, if they both start out with a story from Gabriel about how they're having a child, one of them goes one path, the other one goes the other path, Mary's doing it right, Zacharias is doing it wrong, but yet as we come back at the end of the chapter here, you're seeing they're both coming to a place where they're in a sense of, oh, wow, awesome, God's doing a wonderful thing. 
And now bear in mind, the thing that I see that's common between both of them, and as they're both saying pretty much the same thing, you're seeing that they're both saying, man, God keeps his promises. God, just like he told Abraham, just like he told Israel, just like it was, I can't believe it, God keeps his promises. And in the midst of the days of darkness, and that's a little bit of a hint for us, in the days of darkness, there comes doubts. There's times, there's times in, 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 the, in the process of a promise that there are dark days of doubt. There's three different things that happen with a promise. First, it's given. Then there's what I would call a gestation period. And then thirdly, there's the glory of it. And what you're watching here is you're seeing two people starting to see that something is really starting to happen through these promises that were given. And most of the time in our life, there are things in, in, in times in our life where it doesn't seem so exciting. It doesn't seem like anything. There's long periods of drought and depression in a Christian's life. They're the times that you want to call, uh, I would call, the bulb stage. The times that we feel like a bulb. A bulb, not a light bulb, but a bulb that you would plant as a, as, as a, uh, that would become a tulip in the spring, if you would. And that's what you have to do with a bulb. You take the bulb, and if you know anything about it, we try to, we, we want to have some nice flowers in the spring that are popping up. And I love it, the first real sign of spring, and you see tulips, you see daffodils or whatever it is, and the, they're just screaming up all over the place real quick. And if you want to have that in the spring, it requires you to have forethought, forethought to bury them in the fall. You got to bury them in the fall, and I would always say, "Oh man, I love how my neighbors have some tulips. I want to go, you know, put some tulips in." And you can't do that. You got to sit there, have forethought, bury that, have it sit there, and and get into the ground and to be buried into the ground. Now I tried to look on the internet and said, "Why does that happen?" And it, it, it has to be that way because they have to have 13 weeks of a of a cold snap, a thaw, in order to get that bulb to be just right so that it will start to sprout forth and start to flower. If you don't have those 13 weeks of cold weather, then that bulb isn't triggered enough to start to, if it's not buried deep, if it's not watered enough, you'll sit down and get you know, weak flowers, you'll get small flowers, but if you can get 13 hard weeks of a, of a cold snap, that bulb, it sits there in the ground doing nothing for so long. And that's the way promises are in our life. God gives us a promise, and so many times in our life, there's times that we just sit on a promise. Have you had that happen in your life? Where, where God comes up and says, I'm going to get you through this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do blah, 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 blah. And we go, oh, yeah, God, I hear it, man, I'm receiving that one. And then you're like, you're looking, you're looking, you're looking, and you're going, I'm not seeing anything, Lord. <laughs> uh, it's getting a little worse here. Uh, it's getting cold and miserable. Uh, I'm feeling like I'm buried. Uh, uh, I'm not producing anything. And Lord, you seem like you're a million miles away. I, I, think, I think what has to happen in that process is that, is that for you and I, there has to come a process of, of, of you and I being able to acclimate ourselves to what's around us. And I don't know how come that happens that way, but God's given me a promise and says, Dave, I'm going to do this. And I go, oh, that's good, God. I, I, I'll come out of prayer and says, you know, the Lord told me. He told me this is going to happen. And then nothing and nothing and nothing. And you know what? It always seems like when I finally get to that point where I said, oh, maybe I didn't hear from the Lord. 
you know, I don't care if it ever changes. This is just the way it is. And there seems like there's a point in my life where I resigned myself. I come to the end of myself. I die to myself for all my hopes and all my dreams and everything. And even if it's God's promise, I, I wanna, I want, a part of me wants to hang on to that promise. But there comes a time when you just finally say, it, it, everything just, ah. Oh. And it seems like as soon as I get to that point of, ah, oh, okay, God. And then, bam, next thing you know, out comes this shooting thing, and God starts to move, and you're going, wow! You know, God told me six months ago that this was what was going to happen, and I didn't think it was really going to happen, but look, it really did happen! And now you're just exuberant, you're full of glory, and you're just going, I can't believe these things! I can't believe it! Wow! Now, why does God do it that way? I, God, you're jerking me around here, what's going on? I can't handle this. It's up, it's down. You want me to trust in you. You want me to believe in you. I can't do this, God. And God says, that's right. You don't do any of it. And until you come to that point that you can lay it all down and trust in him through his promises, and I don't know why we have to go through this, but it's that bulb stage. You're going, God, I'm just a bulb. I'm buried in the ground, and it's cold, and it's freezing, and, and you know, uh, I'm not seeing anything. And in our lives, there's large gaps of time that we see nothing. We're going through the book of Luke, and then we'll go through the book of Acts. And, you know, when you read your Bible, you have a tendency to think, man, I wish I was living in the early stages of the church. I wish I could have been there, man. They were having so much fun. It was a party. There was so much excitement. Man, I'm born in the 21st century, 20th century, and man, you hardly ever see God move. Well, you know, you got to understand, this is 30 years it takes for the book of Acts to unfold. And they're giving you the highlights. And I suppose if I wanted to give you the highlights of my last 20, 30 years, compile it all into one little book, you'd say, wow, Dave, God's really done a lot. But I could tell you of long droughts in my life where I've had doubts in the darkness. And I've said, Lord, where are you? Where are you? I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't... I, I. But God comes and he, he, He's just as alive. And there has to be a process inside of us to sit down and to say, Okay, Lord, you're doing, a, you're doing a work. You're doing a deep work. Still waters run deep, as they say. And we always want the high, turbulent, you know, let's get a river going with all this gushing, happy, you know. But it's chaotic, it's insane, and, and it's out of control. Where God comes into our life and he says, still waters run deep. And sometimes we have to be able to settle ourselves down, allow the Holy Spirit to do its work, and come to that point in our life to say, whatever, Lord. And then there's a time when it comes bursting forth. You're seeing the joy. You're seeing, you're seeing the strength. And I'll tell you this much. When you're in those times of drought, that's when faith really starts to take hold in your life. And that's when you can really start to say, Lord, I really am trusting in you because I can trust in nothing else. It's sad when you see people that have to always be, got to have it, got to have it, got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. We live in the, the, the MTV generation. We live in the everything has to be done in a 30-second soundbite. Everything has to be delivered to us quick, 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 quick. Got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. 
And it's sad. What, what we should be able to say is, Lord, you told me it's going to happen. And when in, it, it happens, that's up to you. But I'm trusting in you to keep that promise. I'm trusting in you to be strong through those things. And it's sad. There's, there's things going on where you can see people, they get offended. And then they have to go burn an embassy. I don't quite get where people who are supposed to be people of prayer, people who trust in the Lord, they feel that they have to act out and be so vengeful and to sit down and to burn and to kill people because their God is being wronged. There's something seriously wrong here when the picture should be to say, hey, look, I'm at a place where there's things going wrong in my life, but I'm able to trust, I'm able to believe, and I'm not going to give up because I know God will deliver. And true faith is putting your faith in God and allowing Him to move when He's going to move. God will move. If He told you He's going to do something, He will do it. And because you don't get the instant you know, satisfaction of, a, of the answer the way you want it, when you want it, you turn around and go, God's not there, I need to do something in my own strength, and I need to go, go out there and storm the streets, picket everybody, and, and scream. Do you believe in God? Then allow Him to work. He'll keep His promise. He knows how to touch you. He knows how to move. He sees that, that monster of a problem. And, and here's the teaching. Hey, the, the child hasn't come to fruition. He's given you a promise. He's planted a seed in your heart. Something's starting to grow inside of you. Do we just sit down there and abort the baby? Do we cast it off and say, that's not good enough, you've been alive for three months, time to kill you? Or do you say, no, there's a gestation period. There's a time that you've got to allow this to grow. It's going to take time. And it may not be in your time, may not be the way that you want it, but God is perfect. God's plans are perfect. And He is going to come and do a mighty strong work in your life. And if you want to have the promises, and it's one of the processes of a promise, and God gives you promises, you have to allow that to grow, to mature, to develop. And God wants to do a work in you more than He wants to accomplish some great task. God, why don't I have a million dollars? God doesn't care about a million dollars. God doesn't care about all the things that you think are out there. God wants to do a work in your heart. And when God does the work in your heart, uh, the million dollars is a piece of cake. And you're going, God, I'm facing a demon the size of Texas. I need a million dollars. And if I don't get it, God, you let me down and you failed me. And see, that's us putting everything on us to make us do everything. Mature Christianity allows the subtle work of the Lord and to say, God promised me to get me through this. He promised me to take care of me. I don't know how, don't know where, may not get the million dollars when I need it, but somehow or another, it will work out. And if God said he's going to deliver it, he'll deliver it to me. And we have to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You need to receive those things and to grow in those things. We don't need to sit down there and scream and to yell and to make demands. God wants to do a work in our life. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. Do you hear that part? And it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. John chapter 12, verse 24. So you are a grain of wheat. You have to plant it into the ground. You have to go into that bulb phase of your life to sit down and to say, Lord, I don't see a lot of things. It's cold and dark and miserable. And I like this. Jesus even says, uh, he says, if it remains alone. And there are times in your life where you feel that nobody can help you. Nobody can talk to you. You're alone through your trial. 
we're always here for prayer. But it's always not that bad of a time in your life to be alone. You sometimes have to get alone with the Lord and to say, Lord, this is you and me. Lord, I, I don't have nothing else I can do besides trust in you. And I would beg and implore you sometimes to sit down there to go and, and get in a car and go for a drive. Go out someplace, get a hotel room all by yourself, turn off the TV and just sit there. To go out there underneath the palm tree or the, underneath the, the oak tree and sit there and say, Lord, this is you and me. In the deepest times in my life is when I've come to that place to say, Lord, I'm all alone. Nobody can understand what I'm going through. And the Lord says, I'm right here. And unless it dies, and unless you come to that, you'll never produce fruit. You'll never be able to bear. You'll never be able to grow. You have to be able to come to that place of, Jesus is saying, hate in your life. You're going to find it. If you love it and you're always trying to do something, you're going to lose it. The miracle is, the miracle, the true miracle is, is, is not, it's that we're taking this bag of flesh, which is trash. We're taking this bag of flesh that can do nothing and we're burying it. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that as we sow the corruptible, wicked flesh, we're going to bear and outsprouts the eternal, the everlasting. He says, Paul tells us, he says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown or planted in corruption. Our body. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. He says, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there's a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a, a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And so, you know what? What we do as we're Christians, it's real simple. We have to turn around and say, Lord, I need to give up my life. Lord, I need to surrender my life. Lord, I need to start to trust in your promises and not in the things that are around me. We deceive ourselves greatly when we think everything is in terms of earthliness that we think whether God's moving or not. I got a new car. I got a new house. I got a wife. Hey, God's moving. No, God's moving in your life. And you need to start understanding. You take this bag of flesh, you bury it, you die to yourself. And what God wants to resurrect is power and strength so that you can accomplish great things, that you will bear much fruit. God, God is, is propositioning you and he's saying, give it up. Take your bag of flesh, all your worries, all your cares, and give it over to him. And I'm telling you, if you can sit and receive the promises, if you have to sit there for I don't know how long it is, a day, five days, whatever it is, God's going to resurrect in you a new life. And he wants you to let go of these things and be free. And sometimes you say, Lord, I don't feel it. I don't see it. But you've got to believe it. You've got to put trust and say, God's going to work in my life. An everlasting life. He's going to give me the joy that I really need in my life. And it requires you to let go. To give it up. To, to say, Lord, 
I'm willing to tarry. I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to be patient. I'm willing, I'm willing to let go. And when you come to that point, you're going to find freeness. You're going to find forgiveness. You're going to find the joy of your Christianity. You're going to find the meaning of your life. And you're seeing inside of Zacharias, you're seeing inside of Mary, where she is excited, she's exuberant, and she's able to say, hey, it's real. This is really happening. Now throw in with that, you know what? God just doesn't leave you hanging the dry. He's given Mary a confirmation of Elizabeth. She had to go check out a few things. And there are things that you can do as a believer to say, wait a second, I'm not going to just be, be lost in this tunnel of darkness, Dave. You're telling me to give my life to the Lord and then I just get lost in the tunnel of darkness. Oh man, there are things happening all around you of the miracles of God to confirm that God is real. I wish I could go through every seat in this building and start pointing out people of how God has done miracles to change people's lives in here. This room is full of miracles. You have to... Open your eyes and look around outside of yourself, not be in a tunnel vision to see that God changes lives, God heals people, and God can do wonderful things in your life. You have to blind you, you know, break off the blinders and say, God, you're still moving, you're still alive, and he wants to do something in your life. Those are things that can confirm God's word, where you can see a line of witnesses that say, God changed me, God changed me, God changed me, God changed me. God's still working, people. If you, if you can't see the hand of God, you're blind. You don't want to see it. You're closing your own eyes and you're burying your head in the sand if you think God's not alive. And I, I've been there. I've been in my tunnel vision and I've been all black and alone and cold and miserable. And I've been crying and I, oh, Lord, I don't see you. And God just, whack. Look around you. Look around you. Here's a testimony, there's a testimony, there's a testimony, there's a testimony. This guy was lost, this guy was, you know, this, that's been happening over there. You know, how many times do you need to see that God's changed people's lives? And we need to wake up, and never mind, a long list, and it's amazing, there's a long list of miracles God's done in my heart. If I could, oh, I was in Phoenix, and God did this, and God spoke to me there, and then that came to happen, and I know I, I was doing this, and then this happened over here, and then I was doing this, and then that happened, and then this happened, and this happened. And God's like, Dave, I, you could write a book in itself on what happened in your life. And I guarantee you that if I cornered you and said, can you tell me a time God's worked in your life? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can tell you God did this. I don't care if you've been a Christian for, for 15 minutes. You can still say, I, I know I should have been killed when I jumped off that bridge, you know, and we were all drunk and, you know, da 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 da, da and, you know, and I don't know how I ever got out of that. That must have been the hands of the Lord that kept me here because, you know, stupid me has done some stupid things. And, and we can all understand that God's got a, a purpose. And what God does is he gives you a promise. And he says, I love you, I'll take care of you, and I'll provide for you, and I'll give you everlasting life. Receive that. Walk in that. You're not going to see everything just jump up and change immediately. And, and sometimes it does. But you got to sometimes sit in that bulb stage and you're going to say, Lord, I'm now waiting for you to work. Because you, you can do things that I cannot do. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's stand and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you and praise you that you're an awesome, awesome God, Father. I pray, Father, that you would just start to do a mighty work in our lives and in this congregation, Father. Father, some of us are in that bulb stage now and we are feeling down, uh, dark and dirty and alone. And I pray, Father, that you would start to do a wonderful work, Father, to give us that sense of glory, that sense of confirmation. I pray that our eyes would be opened.
Father, for some of us, Father, we uh, have never even received your promise. I pray that today you would implant in us a seed, Father, that would bring forth life. Father, that as your promise stands, that we would have everlasting life because we believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that that seed would be planted in our hearts, in our lives, that we would sow, Father, our corruptible flesh and reap, Father, eternal life. Father, we need you to do a mighty work in our life. We need you to touch us, Father, and I pray that you would just begin, Father, to do a mighty, mighty work in this congregation. Father, touch us as only you can. Move through us, Father. We need you. We're your children, Father. We're thirsty for you. Help us to trust in your promises, Father. We thank you and we praise you, Father.